Thanks for joining us for today's sermon. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working in your life. If the messages of this church have touched you in some way, please share that with us by clicking on the contact tab at lifesc.org to send us an email. And if you would like to give to this ministry, you can do so online to help us bring messages just like this one to you each week. It is our prayer that God blesses you through this message today. For him, the cross was a destination. It wasn't a stopping point. It was part of the journey. He went through finishing the curse of sin on his way to a resurrected tomb. And when he got to the cross, he said, it's finished, but not finished. He said, the curse and the weight of sin, all of the shame, all the guilt, it's finished at this cross. I'm bearing it here. But he planned on getting up again, amen? That was just a part of the journey for him. That wasn't the final destination, amen? Well, we love you folks, and we know that God is with you every day throughout your week. And I want you to know whatever you're going through, if there's a struggle or if there's a trouble or a trial, just know that that is not your final destination. You're on a journey, amen? You're on a journey, and you're on your way to seeing great things in God. So I just want to take a moment and just welcome you to the house of the Lord. If you want to stand real quick, we'll go to the word of the Lord. Today, we're obviously taking a very very real opportunity to talk about love since it is the love week amen somebody some of us have been privileged to know good love strong love patient and kind love some of us had very poor examples of love in our life and so we're going to talk about that a little bit and i just want to kind of title this little time with you as walking in love the greatest thing you can do is to make a commitment to somebody for all of your life and it's a very large commitment to make. And a lot of people that don't know can ask the question, how can I give my heart to somebody for an entire lifetime? I, I don't even know what they will become. I don't know what I will become. I'm going to mature and I'm going to change. And there's a lot of changes that happen in life. Um, you know, there's things that, that I don't even foresee. How can I give somebody my heart for a lifetime? And the way that you can do that is commit to always taking their hand and just keep walking in love. What comes that's good, hey, thank God for it. If there's bad things, just hold on to the hand of that person you chose to do life with and keep walking in love, amen? And the greater thing here, obviously, is to put your hand in the Lord's hand and never let go and walk in His love, amen? Good times, bad times, ups and downs, amen. Does that sound like a good sermon for today, for Valentine's Day week? All right. Lord, we thank you for the word of God. We're going to go to that now, and we thank you that it encourages us and lifts us up. We thank you for the power we felt in this room as our hallelujahs were lifted, our praises were sung. Lord Jesus, for some of us, lifting a hand in worship is a miracle, that we made it to a point where we could praise you through all that we've been through. For others, it's been a good life, and, and the praise that they bring is just a thank you praise for all the good things. But for some of us, we, we had to shrug off a lot of baggage at the cross. So we thank you for the cross, that it wasn't the final resting place of our life, but the final resting place of our sins. In Jesus' name, we love you so much for loving us first. We're going to talk about it today. Bless us as we hear the word. In Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Keep standing for just a minute. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. Through, uh, we're going to go through verse 7. And I'm going to read 
Um, I have the King James Version, the old version. Because <laughs> I'm a little old school. Young enough, but still old enough at soul that I want to read the old version. But I'm going to read the version that's on the screen. It says, love is patient. Everyone's, everyone say patient. Love is kind. You don't have to say this every single time, but we'll go through it. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking or selfish. One translation says, it is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Everyone say record. Some people are really good at keeping records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always preserves. And that's where I want to end today. But I want to talk to you about these definitions of love. Is it all right if we talk about love today? All right. You may be seated in the house of the Lord. Can I share a personal story with you? Uh, my wife and I, when we first started to date, I actually petitioned the Lord and said, Lord, I have no idea if I can live an entire life with somebody. And I don't know if this is the person I'm supposed to live that entire life with. And the Lord just kind of comforted me and he said, you can love with your whole heart if you'll love the way that I told you how to love. And he said, these are the words that love actually is defined by. Love is patient, love is kind, love does not boast, all of these different things. So I want to go through a couple definitions, if that's okay, this morning, so that we can kind of define, again, afresh and anew, or maybe brand new for you, maybe not so new, what love is. And the first one is love is patient. And they're going to put these on the screen for me, that way you can just kind of follow along. But it says love is patient, and those are the definitions of, of these words. It bearing, it's bearing or enduring pain or trouble without complaining or losing self-control. Um, we'll, we won't spend too long on self-control because some people have a very short fuse, but it's, patience is refusing to be provoked or angered as by insult. You ever got, have you guys ever studied uh, Reverend um, Forrest Gump when he said, I'm not a smart man, but I know what love is? That's Forrest Gump. Even, even someone who is simple can know what pure love is. Amen? You don't have to be educated in different layers of scripture or theology to be able to define what love is because the Lord defined it for us. He said it's patient. And this is what you should strive for. How many need more patience? Don't put your hand up because you might get it <laughs> through trials. The Lord knows how to give us patience. But, but the Bible says that patience has its perfect work in us, and we should let it do so. The other word it uses here is kind. Love is kind. Uh, I think a lot of people that you know live their life together for a long time or they're married for quite a while, they feel like they have a license to be mean. Have you ever met people like this? They talk differently to their spouse than they do to others, and, and it's a very poor example of what love is. And so you need to understand that just because you're married and you have a license to be married or you're going to be getting married or you're with somebody for a long time and you know all their quirks and the little things that they do and don't do. And I told the team last night that there are some things about the person you're with that are, that's going to annoy you for the rest of your life. There's, there's probably something about them that's going to irritate you till you die. And I told them, but the good news is you die. <laughs> so, 
It's going to get better. <laughs> get to go to heaven someday. So, but love is kind. And that is the possession of sympathetic or generous qualities. Being generous to the other person. Thinking the best of them. When you know it, they could be, they could be throwing a dagger, but think the best of them. Uh, maybe they're tired. Maybe they're not having a good day. Maybe things have just gone wrong for them. But being kind is what is needed in a relationship for it to last. Amen, someone? What is our next word? It's envy. In Scripture, here it says, it says love, is the, love, are, love is this stuff. This is the stuff of love. I'm looking at the King James Version right now. And um, it says, envieth not. So envy is to feel um, ill will, to envy something, to be jealous of something. Jealousy, I don't really struggle with a lot of jealousy, so I don't spend a lot of time on this word. Um, I don't covet other people's stuff. If you have a propensity to do that, the Lord does talk about that. Moses gave us the Ten Commandments, and he said that we're not supposed to covet other things, other people's cars, houses, wives, hello, somebody. Um, so there's there's something about all of this stuff that creates something negative in you when you spend a lot of time envying. And so then the definition that you've already read, probably on the scripture since I've had it up there so long, is to discon is discontent at another person's possessions of something that one keenly desires to have or achieve for oneself. How many know that envy stems from selfishness? Yeah. Do you know that? Envy actually is a thing that allows you not to celebrate other people's victories. If you learn how to celebrate people, you learn how to celebrate their wins, regardless of whether you want it or not, if you celebrate their wins, if I celebrate what Eden's doing or what Carla's doing, if I celebrate the things that she's doing um, or they're doing, I actually disconnect the ability to be envious because I'm celebrating their wins. Amen? So when you learn to celebrate people, you actually disrupt the ability for you to be envious. You may have moments of like, oh, I'd like that, or it must be nice. Have you ever had one of those moments? Must be nice. But those are just maybe just little fun moments that you're having where you're like, hey, they got it, they got it nice, they got it good. But guess what? When it goes to the point, when it goes to the point where you're like, I'll do anything to have what they have, then there's a problem, obviously. It has rooted itself in your heart and created other things off of that envy. So you have to deal with envy. Love is not envious. You want good things for the one you love. You celebrate the victories of the one you love. Amen. And you celebrate, we'll go to the next level in this just a minute and get deep into love, the love of God toward man. But right now we're just talking about relationship to relationship, which does, does touch the relationship of us to God. But I'm dealing more of human relationship and interaction at the moment. Love doesn't boast. How many know people that like to boast? They love to tell their story. They love to tell their wins. It's proclaiming one's superiority in an insulting or overbearing way. Have you ever met people like that? I'm better than you. I got a better education than you. I got a better house, better ni nicer car. Have you ever met somebody like that? They, they have to tell, you know. The problem is sometimes they're not wrong. Sometimes they do have a nicer car than you. Sometimes they do have a higher education than you. Sometimes they are more successful than you. But the, the fact that they are doesn't mean that they need to put it in your face. That's what the scripture's trying to say is, 
Just because you have more qualifications or skills or talents or degrees doesn't mean you stick that in front of everybody's faith every, every, every chance you get, every, everybody's faith. You don't walk up. I mean, they, they say, how do you know if someone graduated from Harvard? Because they'll tell you in the first 30 seconds <laughs> when you meet them. It's one of those things that you just, you have to understand that boasting does not speak to love. Love does not boast. Love just loves. It just gives and continues to give. Love is not proud. It takes one station and rank and dis- it, to take one station and rank and display it in scorn of those one considers beneath one. They say that you can always tell what kind of character a person has based on well, how they treat the person they think they don't need. If you have, if you have anything in your life that is giving you a hierarchy of how you treat people, you need to remove it because people need to be loved. Everyone needs love. And so when we talk about love, I want to talk about a love that doesn't boast. I work, I, that the whole, I work harder than you or I, I make more money than you do in, in a spousal relationship can be very damaging. So you have to make sure that you don't a boast and you're not proud you, you remove the pride from your love, and you just love each other. The problem with those statements that I mentioned just a few minutes ago is that when you're walking in love, it doesn't exemplify compassion or care for the other person. It's just being, look at what I am. It's talking about who I am and what I do. And then the other one is dishonor. The word dishonor shows up in 1 Corinthians 13. And that is to treat disrespectfully or insult. I had one person tell me one time, well, if if my husband was more like God, (laughs) if my husband was more godly, and I said, okay, well, let's talk about that. You want your husband to be more godly? Yeah, because then he would know what I want. (laughs) Okay, God knows what you want. You have a point, right? You do have a point. I'm like, why don't you ask him? Well, if he loves me, he should just know. Does that work anywhere else on the planet? (laughs) And so I was like, okay, let's talk about God. First of all, did you ask your husband for what you wanted? Well, not really. Okay, did you ask him more than once? Because that's important. If you want a man, ladies, let me just help you out. If you want a man to do something, you have to ask him more than once. And all the ladies said, amen. (laughs) And then you have to ask him again and again. And then the third thing is you have to ask him without insulting him. If you ask a man to do something, you don't need to remind him to do it six months later. He still knows. The funny thing about the, the character of the individual that I was talking to is they were focused on the other person in the relationship mending all the problems. And the truth of the matter is that whenever you love somebody, you want to help them serve and help them do things. And so you will do whatever it takes. You will not insult them when you ask them the second or the third time. It's important that we know that because God is like that. So I applied it to the Lord. I said, okay, you want them to be more godly? Let's look at the Lord. How, does, how do you approach the Lord? When you want something from God, what does he say to do? Ask and you shall receive. And the actual words there, it means to ask and keep asking. So that proves God's a man. I'm just saying, <laughs> just kidding. Just making sure you're all awake this morning. So 
the proof of the uh, of the actual love relationship is in your abilities to honor and to respect and to continue to be kind. And so if you ask and then you keep asking, that is the pattern of scripture. And then you have to ask the Lord without insulting him. It's not like, <laughs> why haven't you answered yet? It's the same thing for men. So ladies, do the same. Ask a man and then ask him again and then ask him again. Why haven't you picked up the laundry? <laughs> we don't want to pick up the laundry. It's, it's not needed to be picked up. I'm going to pick it up from right there and I'm going to put it back on and wear it again. That's, that's a good place. It's readily handy. It's right there. I don't need to put it in the closet because I'm going to wear it tomorrow. It's not dirty. It's accessible, very accessible. This is highly accessible. And so, but that's always in the way. Let me help you. Walk around it. <laughs> Just go around. But this is something that happens in a lot of relationships. I was telling the, the team last night that um, you need to get people around you that can help you do conflict resolve. Because sometimes you can have little things that you're fighting over that drives you crazy, and it's actually a very selfish thing. You can be self-seeking and not even realize it. You can be like, I want the thermostat at 70. And he's like, I want the thermostat at 72. And you guys can argue over that till the Lord comes back. Or you can have a group of friends that you go out with and you hang out with and they've already been through some things and they can be like, so have you considered 71 degrees? It's a good compromise. That works. Or you know what? There's some ways to make your marriage last longer, just simple ways, and I'm going to help you as a pastor. This is free. This will be, be worth coming out today. Get two bathrooms in the morning. <laughs> just go ahead and buy a house with two bathrooms. That'll put five years on your marriage right there. <laughs> and go ahead and get a dual climate car. There you go. Dual climate. She gets 56 because she's always hot. It's always hot in here. And he's like, I am burning up. Roll the window down. You know, he can put it on whatever, you know, or she's hot, he's cold, whatever works out for you. Dual climate will put another five years on your marriage. So right there, I've just helped you with 10 years of marriage. From there on, it's on you, but you can walk in love for 10 years with two bathrooms and dual climate control on your vehicles. So get a good job, men, and save yourself all the hassle. Self-seeking, that's, that's where I was at. We'll get back to the Word of God. It's not self-seeking. Self-seeking is to bend one's efforts toward themselves. Now, if you've ever been in a relationship that didn't work and you always tried to help the other person, but you always knew that they're, they're wanting something from you that bends it toward themselves and their benefit, uh, that is self-seeking, and that will not work because it says love is not this thing. These are the things that love is not. And so whenever you see these things showing up in your relationship or in your life, you need to take an assessment and go, okay, am I being self-seeking? Is it something that I just want really bad? Most of the time, guys get angry because they want something, and if you don't give it to them, sometimes they, they have a tendency to be a little bit more short-fused. Now, I know this is a generality, and forgive me, but typically that's the case. Guys can be a little bit more short-fused. Now, I know some women that will beat you up if they don't like you or don't like what you're doing, so that's not... Not to say that there's not other, other things involved here, but if you have seen this in your relationship, you need to handle it because it becomes self-destructive. 
it simply creates a cycle that destructs and destroys things. Then the next one it says is be angry and, well, the scripture says be angry and said not. That's my next scripture. It says um, love is not angered. That doesn't mean love doesn't get angry because God loves us, amen? And he does have godly wrath. He did have anger against sin. So he was angry against the things that damaged us. That's what he was angry at. You have to understand that the Bible says be angry and sin not. And the Bible also says not to let the sun go down on your wrath or go down on your anger. So I typically, typically get mad at night. So I have 24 hours to rant and rave about it. That's just a, you know, a good thing for me to do. I get mad in the evenings. So no, really what that means is don't let the day go. Don't go to sleep angry. Let the day be started new because God starts a new day with a dawn of mercy. Amen. And you should start a new day fresh. So if you have an, a situation that you're angry about, you need to let it go and give it to the Lord in the evening. A feeling of displeasure resulting from injury, mistreatment, or opposition and usually showing is angered itself. Angered itself is a desire to fight back at the supposed cause or this feeling, the supposed cause. Now, how many know that when you live with somebody, every once in a while, you just have a good old-fashioned fight? How many know that happens? If you don't smile, then that's a, that's a good indication you're having a fight right now. <laughs> don't, look, no, don't look to the right or the left. Um, you, guys are, you guys know the story that you fight all the way to church, and then you get out and like, Oh, hi, praise the Lord. It's so happy to be in the house of the Lord. And people put on this face, and then they get back, and they go, ah, 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 ah. It's like a couple of cats. Just, ah. <laughs> They're just fighting all the time, and then they get in the presence of other people, and they put on this mask, and, oh, it's good to be in the Lord's house. And they've been fighting the whole time. Well, the truth of the matter is, maybe they're fighting over the fact that they have been keeping a record of wrong. Amen? So the scripture says not to keep a record of wrong. It says to make a record is actually to make a permanent or official note of there are some people that are very good at making notes of wrongs. They're like, on the 5th of October, 2003, it was partly cloudy, and <laughs> you told me I was fat. <laughs> you know, there's, they, have a, they have a way of recording every single wrong, and they have a book that they have in their head, and they're keeping this record, and so it takes only just a few minutes for them to get really upset because they pull up all of your record of wrong every time there's a fight. You need to fight fair. Amen? So learn how to fight fear. Don't keep record of wrongs because that's not what love does. Love forgives. Amen? Love forgives again and again for the same offenses even. Love continues to forgive. And then the Bible says it delights. Um, it does not delight in wrongdoing or, or displeasure. It, and I could read it actually for you out of the King James, but um, let's just deal with the word delight, the meaning of that, to be highly pleased. It doesn't delight in wrongdoing or doesn't delight in others' Uh, having having difficulty in their life. One of the greatest things that I found is just to delight in the Lord, and it takes care of so many things. Amen. It, it rejoices not against others. So in the scripture, it actually says, um, charity vaunteth not. Charity is the word used in the King James for love. It doth not behave itself unseemly. It seeketh its own. It is not easily provoked. It thinketh no evil. It rejoiceth not in iniquity. 
but rejoiceth, rejoiceth in the truth. It rejoices in truth. So notice what God does here. When I already said it, you don't delight in somebody's wrongdoing or delight in someone's harm. The way that you don't do that is you delight in the Lord. That seems like a long stretch, right? Because I just said that. But here's the exact scripture in verse 6. It says, rejoice not in iniquity. But rejoice in the truth. God gives you a substitution for everything in your life. If you are angered at something, you can put in joy. If you have a rejoicing with God, you will not rejoice in others' iniquity. If you have a delight in the Lord, you will not delight in others' harm. And some people, hey, you know, some people, they do some stuff and they deserve it. They, they have it coming. You know those folks, they just... They've just been sowing some really bad seeds and some things are about to happen in their life. And when it shows up, you can say, see, I told you they had it coming all along. I'm glad that finally they got what was theirs. That's delighting in their misfortune. That's rejoicing in something that hurts them and their iniquity. And guess, most, most of the time people don't come out and say that, like, I'm so glad that they had a car wreck because they were so ridiculous about showing off that car. It serves them right that they cracked it up. Nobody's going to come out and say that. But the truth of the matter is there are people that develop this kind of hate, you know, that can, that can fester on the inside and they can literally want bad for other people. And that is something that will not help you in loving others. It'll, it'll develop a destructive behavior and you will not love properly in other places of your life where you're supposed to because of improper celebration of people that have been harmed. So then it says love protects and that's to shield from injury or danger of loss. The man, a lot of the man's role sometimes um, in, in the household is to protect and and that's, that's kind of a manly thing to do. I know some females are raising single fam family homes. And guess what? You have to protect as well. I understand that. There's different role changes that have happened over time. So some of the scripture that is, is written in a certain time period doesn't always feel like it's a direct application. But I guarantee you that a man is a very good protector. That doesn't mean you have to have a stick next to your bed and beat anything that comes in the front door. That means you need to pray and you need to be a financial protector and you need to be a spiritual protector and you need to make sure that your kids are growing in their spirituality and their walk with God. You're protecting not just the home, but you're protecting everything. And I know we live in Wisconsin. Everybody's got a gun. I get it. You know, like somebody's got a shotgun somewhere, but I personally don't have a gun, but it doesn't even matter because if someone came in my house, I would beat them with a spoon. You know, I, I literally, I would go after them because you came in my home and these are the people I love and I'm going to get in between you and the thing that I love. And that's where I want to transfer to the hope of our salvation in this sermon. I want to go deeper to the fact that God loved us so much that he stuck a cross in between the wrath and the love of God. He said, literally the sin of the, of the world. He literally said, I love you so much that I'm going to come and I'm going to die for you. And I'm going to stand in the place of all of that wrath and that righteousness 
judgment. It is righteous judgment. It's, it's judgment that will always be righteous and right. But the truth of the matter is when we stand in God's presence, we would be standing in pure holiness and judgment. And what Jesus did was he made himself a body. He was born of man, born, born in, into the world in Bethlehem. And then he died on the cross and he says, my blood made up a, a place for you where you can stand behind me. The things that are behind me are the things I love. And in front of me is the pure justice of God. And we have hope in his salvation for us because we're not walking in front of God just with all of our sins exposed. We're walking in front of God with our sins covered because of Jesus' sacrifice. That is the hope of our salvation. The word hope in scripture gets a little bit messed up in our English language because we use it as a way to wish. Like, are you going to that, to that concert? Oh, I hope so. You know, I, I wish. I wish I could. I, I hope. It's used as the word wish sometimes in our English language. But the word hope here actually means a certainty. That we understand that this morning getting up and bringing our children to Sunday school, this morning getting up and coming to worship and the hope of our salvation is a certainty that God is going to put into them a walk of love for him, a walk of love in their life and that we are going to be able to live out the relationship with God and have a hope of heaven. It's not just a wish, brothers and sisters. It is a certainty in Jesus Christ. I stand in his salvation because of my faith in him. And I believe the hope is a feeling of expectation that what is wanted is going to happen. That's what we use often. Then trust, a firm belief and confidence and honesty and integrity and reliability of another person. And we see so much good words used. And the last word that I read is perseverance or to preserve. Hope preserves to continue in some effort or a course of action in spite of difficulty or opposition. I was reading this Tuesday morning. For some reason, I, I get sermons on Tuesday morning. I really don't know why, but I was reading and this Tuesday morning in a devotion, and I was reading over the book of Job, and Job's story is, is a difficult story for me to actually enjoy because he has everything, then he loses it all. And I literally prayed. I'm like, Lord, I don't like this story. I really don't like the fact that he loses his children in the story. I don't like that he loses everything. You know, and the scripture tells us what he loses in Job 1. It, it says, there, there was a man in the land of us named, name was Job, and that man was perfect and upright. And one that feared God and pushed away or skewed evil. There was born unto him seven sons and three daughters. And he had so much stuff. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 teams of oxen, or 500 heads of oxen, as they say in the Old Testament, and five female donkeys. And he had so much that he was considered the richest person in the entire East, the scripture said. He was the most wealthiest man in the entire East. And he loses it all because God said, have you considered my servant Job? And I'm like, God, why would you do that? And I prayed about it. And I was like, this really bothers me. He's a righteous man. He's doing the right things. And all of these blessings are because he was a righteous man doing the right stuff. And why would you have that taken away from him? And the Lord answered me. I really feel like the Lord said something to me, not audibly, but he just spoke to me in my prayer time. He said, so that I have, would have a record of faithfulness in the earth. 
that I would have a record of somebody who didn't deserve this stuff to be taken away. But because he walked with me in love, he just loved his God so much that no matter what left him, he just kept walking, holding on to God's hand. That is the story of Job. That is the record left in the earth so that there are people, there's people that can be having a difficulty time, a time of difficulty on their job or a time of difficulty in their relationship and they can flip over to Job and see that he was faithful through all this stuff. Truly, surely, if he was faithful through this and lost all this, at the stuff that I've lost, even though it hurt, even when it walked out of my life, it hurt, yes, but truly I haven't lost as much as the record of Job. And if he was faithful, if he said, though he slay me, yet will I serve him, if he if his wife said, why don't you just curse God and die? And yet he said, woman, that is speaking like foolish women. Don't do that. Don't say that because I will not curse God out my lips. And the Bible literally says that Job did not sin with his lips. He never said anything that was against God, even though he lost everything. And I said, God, why would you do that? And he goes, because I wanted to preserve the record of his faithfulness in the earth so that others can say, if he did it, I can do it. <laughs> if Job went through all that, I can graduate from school. If Job did all that, I can start over in a relationship. If Job did all that, I can live with divorce and still have another marriage coming. If Job did all of this through the, fa the fact that he just loved God and he walked in love with God, his progress was who he was connected to. And so that's what I wanted to finish with. And sometimes we ended up, we, I end up being long-winded, and I've tried not to be, but I want to finish with the story of Jacob. And it's the 35th chapter. If you want to read it, maybe you can do your homework. I don't know if that's something you want to do on a Sunday afternoon, if you're wanting to get a mug and sit down in a little rocking chair and open your Bible and read the Word of God. Maybe you want to do that this afternoon and read Genesis 35. It's a really odd piece of scripture, but tucked in the seam is a truth that stands the test of time, and that is the fact that God told Jacob to arise and go to Bethel. Bethel means house of God, or El Bethel, house of God. El comes from the word El Shaddai in the Old Testament, and El Shaddai means God of overflowing. So he said a house of overflowing, a God who is there and is and inhabitants in that place. And this is where Jacob met with God and fought with the angel. You know the story. He crosses over the brook and he, fought, and he fights with an angel or representative of God and, and he fights with him till day is broken. And we get the understanding of the spiritual world that angels are commissioned in the morning because the angel gets, hes, gets very hesitant and very, very anxious and said, you need to let me go. I need to go back before I am charged or I am sent with a message and I have to go back and, and, I, and I have to get my, my orders for the day. I have to be back in the presence of God. And he's like, no, I will not let you go. Jacob is like fighting or wrestling with this angel. And he's like, I will not let you go. There's a manifestation of God's presence in a theophany or an angel that allows him to interact with it in a way that he can touch the spirit. It's manifested in a, in a form that he can fight with and wrestle with. And he's tussling with this because he's dealing with the fact that his brother's coming to kill him because he had betrayed his brother and ran from his brother. And now his brother's coming back and, and he's like, I, I cannot let you go unless you bless me. I have to know I have the blessing of God on my life. 
in order for me to go through what I'm about to go through. And some of you here need to know that God has blessed your life and that's why you're going through what you're going through, amen? And that's why you're gonna get through what you're going through because God has blessed you. And so he wrestles with the angel and the angel touches his thigh and the sinew is shortened and now he walks with a limp for the rest of his life and his name is changed not to Jacob, which is surplanter or, or someone who is a deceiver, but it's changed to Israel, which is the father of many nations. And here he is doing a good thing. He's headed. The Lord tells him, go and arise and go to Bethel and there meet with me and, and see the altar that you built when I was there and I met with you and I changed your name. Go and do a good thing. Build an altar to God and be in the house of God. Have you ever been in a place where you go to do a good thing and a bad thing happens? Have you ever been in a place where you're investing in the house of God, Bethel here, and you're giving things to the, to the house of God and you're doing things for God and yet there's a bad thing that happens? That's what happens here. And I was like, Lord, why would this happen? And so then you see in verse 18, they're traveling along and God has blessed him and renamed him. And then all of a sudden, his wife, who's heavy with child, the, the woman that he loves, in verse 16, it actually says, and they journeyed to Bethel. And there was but a little way to come to Ephrath, which is actually Bethlehem. And Rachel travailed, the one that he loved the most, the wife that he worked so long for, travailed and she had hard labor. And it came to pass when she was in hard labor that the midwife said unto her, fear not, thou shalt have a son, this son also. And it came to pass, her soul was departed for she died and she she called his name Benoni, but Israel waddled to the back of that wagon where his wife was no longer with them. And he said, his name is not going to be Benoni, but his name is going to be Benjamin. And if you don't understand the scripture, you don't, you don't have to look very hard to find out that Benjamin is the tribe that all the kings came from. So even though he was in the middle of doing something good, he was in the middle of trying to do a, a good work for the Lord. He was going back to worship God and build an altar. And he was doing all the things that God had told him to do. And in the middle of that, tragedy strikes. And maybe for you, maybe in your life, I don't know if it's, if it's a case where you need to be reminded of the love of God, but I've come to bring this two, these two stories. And with this little message, I want to remind you that you've never met a love like God's love. You've never met a touch and a, a, a deciding change in your life like God's change. And even when things come that are difficult, and even when you're doing the right thing and wrong things happen, I want you to know that God takes record of it. God knows it. And if you just keep walking with your hand in his. He's going to honor it for Job was given double for his trouble. Amen. And we know that in the end of time, whenever they were walking through the, their, their situation and Jacob was like, God, I just came to worship you and I lose the love of my life through it all. I've been living for you and they leave me. What am I going to do with this situation? I want more of you. If you just keep your hand in God's hand, he will give you double for going through what you're going through. And when you understand that when he walked to the back of that thing, that, that wagon, and he saw that the name was Benoni, God had told him, no, you're going to name him Benjamin because out of him is going to come the kings of Israel. And he gave him back more than what he lost in an heritage when he walked in love with God. And we have three quarters of the New Testament written by a guy by the name of Paul. Anybody ever heard of Paul? I'm closing. I just want to give you a little bit of word here. 
a guy by the name of Paul. You know who Paul was? He, he, he was one who was confident in Christ Jesus. He said, I have a reason to be confident more than any of you. Sometimes we have our confidence in the wrong place, in the wrong people, in the wrong situation. But God said, I will reward you if you walk with me in love. And that's what he did to Jacob. Because down through the ages, through the genealogies of the kings, came Jesus Christ. From a man who walked to the back of a wagon and said, why did my wife have to go while well, I'm doing a good thing? He said, I'm going to bring Jesus from your lineage. I'm going to give back when you've lost. And then you have Paul in the New Testament goes, who goes, you want to talk about bragging? I have a right to brag. Know about 11 languages. I have revelations from God. In fact, I have a thorn in my flesh because of all the revelations that I've had to keep me humble. He said, I was circumcised the eighth day, the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin. Paul, who wrote one third, a quarter, over a quarter of the New Testament, actually said three quarters, I believe it's close to a third. It's a third, that's what it is. I have to remember what was taught to me in Bible college. It was a ways back. Over a third of the New Testament written by him, and it would not have happened had Jacob not just kept walking with the one that he loved. If he would have just kept his hand in God, God's hand, and said, it doesn't look good right now, but I'm not going to name him Benoni. I'm going to name him Benjamin. And God honored him through it all. What does, what does walking in God's favor and walking in God's love look like? If you'd stand with me right now, I think walking in the love of God is not only the greatest thing we can do, but it allows us to live for Him in a way that others don't understand. Others will look at your life and say, how did you go through all that stuff? How did you make it out of that situation? How did you raise those kids by yourself? How did you live on your own when you were so lonely? How did you make it through? And you can just simply say, I always walked with the Lord. And I've always kept him close by my side. If there's anything I can teach you today, it's not that I want to share with you some great revelation of truth from the Word of God, but it is that God is committed to you. Even whenever you can't hold his hand anymore, he still holds you. And I love to be celebrating a God who loved me so much that he gave his only begotten son. The scripture says that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I'm thankful for a God who created a, a way to him through a cross. Because that was my cross and that was your cross. That was all of our cross. But the substitution that he gave was a loss. But when Jesus said, not my will, but thine be done, he was actually saying, I'll walk in love so that they can know my love. And so today, it may be a Valentine's Day week where we all go out and somebody buys too much chocolate and maybe roses that are way too expensive. I don't know. But this week, I want to commission you to walk in love, to let love be patient and kind and all those other things that we talked about. 
Focus on pulling back in your anger. Don't be short-fused and don't let love be defined by the world. Let love be defined by God. Walk in love this week.